0: This is Using the Whole Whale, stories of data and technology in the social impact world. My name is George Weiner, your host, and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us.
1: This is episode 94 of Using the Whole Whale. I am not George Weiner, obviously. I am Olivia Marlo Giabetti. The account strategist with Whole Whale, and uh, joining me today is Bennett Wetch, the VP of Tech Innovation for Fairtrade USA. Bennett, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you. Happy to be here.
1: Yeah. So we uh, we met at uh, in Austin at South by Southwest. You did a fantastic panel on how we're using digital. In a lean and intelligent way, with two uh, two wonderful people as well, and I'm so excited that we get to actually sit down and talk a little bit further about it because you're doing some really interesting stuff with fair trade. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what you do with them specifically and what Fair Trade USA is doing uh, in in the world?
2: So Fair Trade USA has been around for 20 years now, and Our model is a market-based approach to alleviating poverty and improving community resiliency uh, for farmers and workers around the world. So we certify farms, factories, and fisheries across the globe and ensure that they adhere to our rigorous set of socioeconomic and environmental standards. And along with certifying and auditing these producer organizations, we also audit the supply chains that, um, that bring the products from farm to shelf to ensure that, for example, the beans in a bag of coffee that bear the Fair Trade certified label actually came from one of these farms that adhere to these standards. And so in addition to farmers and workers um, seeing the benefits associated with complying with these standards that enable, that empower them to uh, be better stewards of the environment, and to um, have more agency over how they how they work and how they invest in their futures, a critical piece of the fair trade model is also um, what we call the community development premium. And this premium, say again in coffee, is 20 cents per pound, which means that for every pound of coffee that is sold on fair trade terms, 20 cents of that goes back into a bank account that is managed by the farmers and workers. And they organize democratically into fair trade committees to determine how best to spend this money. And the reason why this part of our model is so impactful is because no one knows the needs of these communities better than the people who live in them. So rather than well-meaning people in the global north saying, all right, if you want to make more money, you need to be more productive. And if you want to be more productive, you should use tractors. And therefore, here's some tractors. And then six months later, those tractors are broken down in a field because they weren't trained on maintenance, don't have the money for fuel, or it just wasn't what they needed. Our model ensures that farmers are deciding how that money is leveraged. And that manifests itself in a variety of ways. From building schools to ensure more educational opportunities in the community, to building wells to reduce the amount of time that it takes to get fresh water every day, to investing in organic conversion programs or buying fertilizer to improve the quality of their products. And so with these types of um, ways that farmers and workers use the Community Development Premium we see a big ripple effect where they aren't just improving their own lives, but the lives of those around them in their community are improved as well.
1: So rather than say, here is this great piece of technology that we have found to be useful and you should use it as well to move your community forward, we're essentially saying, here are the resources to find the best means of crossing whatever The chasm you're currently facing in your community whether that is solved by say some sort of tractor or farming uh implement or something completely different
2: yeah exactly and not mutually exclusive so with the community development premium and at the core of our model it is very much putting that decision-making power in the hands of the farmers and workers um obviously with some of these communities who have never seen this type of influx of money, we certainly provide support in helping them make informed decisions that will best serve their community's needs. But along with that, we are also creating or implementing tools that help from on the technology side that help them as well. And so our technology team, our UX designers um, in collaboration with the people in our organization who work with these farmers and workers on a day-to-day basis are also doing research into identifying what are the ways in terms we can in terms of how we can better support them on their fair trade journey. And so this may be the ability for them to better connect with buyers or to communicate the impacts of the community development premium. the supply chain to encourage more people to make purchases on fair trade terms.
1: Yeah, you had made a really wonderful point uh, back in March at your South by panel that business and technology strategy must go hand in hand, which I thought was such a wonderful bite sized mic drop in terms of how we can be applying that to any number of, you know, even outside of the nonprofit for benefit world any organization worth its salt should be bringing business and technology in tandem together versus trying to layer in technology as an afterthought to the business side of things.
2: Absolutely. And that um, that imbalance can actually go both ways. So as you just alluded to, it is far too common for a business to say, all right, this is how we do business and now um, apply a technology solution to support that. And that can result in some really expensive investments in order to accommodate a ton of nuances within the business model that might not be inherently scalable or have really rigorous process associated with them. On the flip side, it's not uncommon for people to come up with a great technology idea, but then not necessarily connect that to... Well, how does this how does this how does this manifest itself as a business and actually provide a marketable value to the users? And so, it's really critical for us to be having those conversations in the same breath and to say, all right, if this is what we want to achieve via our business goals, how are we using technology to make that happen? And how are we ensuring that if we want to embark on this initiative as a business? then we are leveraging technology to ensure that that business process is scalable, repeatable, and um, and provides a level of rigor and accuracy that you wouldn't necessarily get if you weren't thinking about it um, that early on.
1: So we've been talking about how this, this way of thinking and bringing business and technology together hand in hand for impact for the farmers that are growing the coffee beans that we're buying that are fair trade certified uh how within the fair trade organization in and of itself your internal operations uh are are you also bringing this same hand in hand sense of business and technology to the internal workings of the organization
2: right yeah so we started in 1998 um and we have and we started in coffee, and that first year we certified about 3,000 pounds of coffee. In the years since, not only have we certified a cumulative over a billion pounds of coffee, but we also expanded into cocoa and sugar and tea and coconut and apparel and seafood supply chains and many more. And as we embarked on that evolution and Found that our model worked in one vertical and then applied that model to a new vertical. We found that um, we found that people were receptive to the model. But in order for us to reach the amount of people that we would like to reach, we needed technology solutions to help scale the model. And so it's important to recognize that if we had When we started in 1998, if we wanted to achieve our goals of, say, connecting farmers with the rest of the world via technology solutions, we would have had to invent smartphones and erect cell phone towers and create database technologies, um, where now we are in the fortuitous position of putting together the puzzle, puzzle pieces instead of having to create those pieces ourselves. And so now as we look forward and we look to scale our proven model, we are, that's where we're really looking at. How do we have technology at the heart of what we do? The history of the auditing and certification space has been people on the ground validating control processes with pen and paper or now tablets. But as we look to the future, if our goal is to enable a data-driven approach to socioeconomic and environmental sustainability, then we also need to be considering what are all the tools at our disposal beyond the auditor in the field, whether that is soil or uh, water contaminant sensors that are internet connected, or if it's utilizing satellite imagery to report on sustainability efforts especially as it relates to waterway protection or say deforestation and then similarly putting tools in the hands of farmers who live in some cases many hours from the closest town and historically would have never had access to these tools but thanks to the advent of uh, mobile devices now are connected in a completely unprecedented way and so as any organization, we continue to evolve our organizational strategy and our value proposition for the market. It's important for us to now recognize that we must be leveraging technology across all of the ways in which we operate our business in order to one, stay attractive to the market by providing them with the types of data insights that they expect, but two, to scale our work. There are around 1.6 billion people in the world that work in agriculture and make less than $2 per day. We currently work with around uh, one and a half to two million farmers. So for us to make a much more significant dent in global poverty without growing our staff of 100 to, say, 100,000, it's imperative for us to be finding ways to efficiently and effectively leverage technology to further our business goals.
1: Yeah, so what's really interesting to me about this is that started in 1998, so really at that, before the tech bubble really hit peak tech bubble, and then starting to move in, you know, at your 10-year anniversary mark, that's really when social media starts to take shape in a way that it hadn't before. Facebook becomes more accessible to people who are not just college students, and Twitter launches, and... Now we are in 2018 and I'm curious in tandem with how your online work can create offline impact also from that 20 year perspective how has the scope of your online work changed towards leveraging that impact and is the impact the same or is it just uh is it radically different based on the new tools that we do have available to us
2: Yeah the the impact itself um, is still its still pretty similar, and it's the basics of ensuring that kids can go to school rather than be working in the fields, ensuring that people have access to fresh water and safe working conditions um, and reasonable working hours. And so the impact that we drive has been relatively consistent, but what is dramatically improving is our ability to communicate that impact. So historically, for us to tell the story of how fair trade is changing lives, it involved a photographer and a copywriter coming up with a compelling story and sharing that with people as an example of how fair trade changes lives. But what we find, what we found increasingly in this more globally digitally connected world is that people want to have access to that a type of information at a much larger scale, and they also want to see the data to back it up. So it's all well and good to tell me that a community built a school and that education rates increase, but can you also tell me the rates at which education increase
1: and how many more children go to school as a, a effect? And then even tougher is what are what's the generational
2: change that that enabled? How did that enable a generation of children to, say, attend college and improve their local economies in a way that was never previously available. And so the core of our impact as it relates to uh, gender equality and education and protecting waterways and all the many facets of the impact that fair trade certified farms, factories and fisheries enable, that's been those types of community needs are pretty consistent and they're Those those needs are seen by
1: communities in every economy in the world and have evolved at different rates
2: over the last several hundred years. And what we're seeing now is that digital technologies are really enabling us to step up our game in terms of providing transparency into that impact and then also collecting and communicating that impact at a much larger scale. So it's, it's, it's nice to tell someone that, here's an example of a community that built a school through the funds generated by Fairtrade Coffee. So therefore, also you should buy Fairtrade tea and Fairtrade coconuts and Fairtrade apparel. But what people are increasingly asking for is then, okay, so I bought Fairtrade apparel, show me what happened there. Show me what's happening in the products that are in my hand. Show me the direct benefits that I am enabling for these farmers and workers around the world. And so proving the authenticity of our impact via data and not mutually exclusive to the anecdotes, the stories are still hugely important and they're still a very key part of our strategy. But now digital technologies are enabling us to also collect those stories at a greater scale as well.
1: If I can play devil's advocate for a moment, this is fantastic. And it's great that we're able to hear so much more about the impact that our selections in the grocery store aisle have but if i'm a nonprofit with a staff of 15 as opposed to a staff of 100 how can i possibly keep up with the storytelling component when there are so many other things uh eating eating into my into my time how how can i take this incredible storytelling journey that you have and make it work for an organization that's a tenth of your size
2: Certainly. Um, First, I'd want to say that we certainly don't have it all figured out yet. We're still learning how to most effectively do this. And I would love to be able to tell you that we collect stories from every single farm we work with, but we don't yet. But we're working towards that. And so with that in mind, I think it's also important to recognize that as an organization of 100, we're also asking the same question of how do we, how do we enable the type of storytelling that a nonprofit of a thousand or a 10,000 is able to enable? And I think a lot of what it comes down to is, um, one, the cliche that perfect is the enemy of good. So just because we can't capture stories from hundred percent of our supply chains doesn't mean that we shouldn't shoot for ever increasing uh, percentages of our supply chain coverage. And also, it's important to recognize that not every story has to have New York Times level polish. Having a photo with a quick blurb associated with it can be a relatively easy thing to capture, especially if you're if you have direct connections with the primary beneficiaries of your impact model. So getting photos directly from farmers with a quick quote of how Fair Trade has supported them may not turn into a multi-page blog post that gets featured on the Huffington Post, but it can certainly create an Instagram post or a tweet that then many of our partners share as well. And so what we are, what we've been focused on is making sure that we are telling those deep stories and that we're investing the resources and capturing those as well, but also recognizing that the the power of social media is the ability to stay top of mind and you don't need super polished content or really deep content in order to stay top of mind. Um, And then similarly, finding creative ways to leverage and re-leverage content. And so if you have a photographer out in the field, and they take a few hundred photos for you, you, have, you potentially have content for several months that you can leverage in different ways. And so having come, I joined Fairtrade USA on the marketing team. And my goal on the marketing team when I joined the organization was to help implement systems and processes that enabled us to communicate these stories and communicate this type of impact data at scale. And I recognized pretty early on that our lack of a technology strategy and centralized systems was preventing us from doing so. And so one of the things that I would um, that I would encourage organizations of any size to do is to have a really close partnership between technology and communications, whether those are teams of two or teams of 20, and thinking through what are the... What's the life cycle of content? How can we efficiently collect it from the field around the world? How can we store it in a way where it's easy for the comms team to access and make use of? And then how can the comms team then publish that to a variety of different mediums to get the most mileage out of that content?
1: Yeah, in a way to continue on the sort of theme of food, not every... Thing that you eat is going to be a three course meal. Sometimes you just need that sort of quick burst snack. And then also when you go to the grocery store, chances are you're going with at least a few days worth of meals in mind and having that idea of how can I repurpose this, uh, this rice from one meal to the next?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. It's um, I think that I can think back to some meals that were Expensive and delicious, and I can also think back to some of my favorite meals that only cost a couple of dollars and were equally delicious, but in different ways. Um, and to follow the food analogy, I, I mean, uh, Hispanic food and Mexican food in particular are some of my favorites. And if you were to break it down into its components, you got some really common components there in terms mm-hmm. of beans and rice and meat and avocado and salsa and tortillas but then you can build that into a bunch of different forms and you can do a lot of different things with it so um, not to go too deep on the food metaphors but you're exactly right there's a lot of there's a lot of variety available in content creation and also in what you what you do with that content and then also recognizing that People's, me- people's memories aren't photographic, so there is no shame in repurposing a post from six months ago or a year ago that did really well. Given the nature of social networks, chances are if you post it again, the majority of viewers are going to be seeing it for the first time.
1: I mean, I'm happy to go down the food rabbit hole, but uh, maybe not <laughs> everyone listening to this wants to hear it, especially if they're listening on an empty stomach. Uh, so I want to move into a few rapid fire questions. What is one tech tool that you are using right now that you are loving?
2: Um, let's see. One tool that I really like to use is lucid It makes it really easy to visualize, um, some complex processes. When you work with the level of complex supply chains that we do, it's really helpful to be able to visualize those nuances to make them digestible for people. And while tools like PowerPoint or others certainly have their place, I have found that Lucidchart enables me to create really clean, easily digestible process maps in just a few short minutes. And that's honestly been hugely important for us because any technology project needs to be grounded in both the current processes of what you're trying to support and then also an idea of the future processes that you want to enable and if you jump straight into the tech design and build without having an idea of what those processes are that you need to support then everything takes much longer and becomes much more expensive. Granted, if you're starting from scratch and you don't have to support, say, 18 years of legacy business process, maybe that that's not as important. But even then, it's really helpful for user journey mapping, process mapping, and also even just systems diagrams to show how we are co- correlating the data that we collect from farmers to the transactional data that we Uh, collect along supply chains and how that all comes together.
1: What's one tech dragon that you are hoping to slay?
2: Oh man, Um, tech dragon that I'm hoping to slay. I, I am looking forward to our ability to visualize supply chains at scale for, again, for years, part of our compliance and assurance model included bringing together lots of data across supply chains but it was done via Excel email and other um, lower tech tools that didn't necessarily enable us to get the types of insights that we could. But given our relationships from farm to shelf, we're in a really unique position where we already have built-in expectations for reporting into our systems. And so we're, we're getting really close to, um, to starting to create some prototypes on this front But eventually, and this is, again, part of why I went from the calm side to the tech side, was to, I have a dream that one day as a consumer, I can be, or a more friendly term, a person who buys things. um, I have a dream of being able to track my purchases and be able to see my month of coffee, what did that enable? How did that contribute to a farm farm building a school in Colombia and another farm that was bringing clean water to their village in Rwanda?
1: If you had the Harry Potter wand, what is one thing you would change about the industry?
2: Uh, Which industry, food or technology?
1: (laughs) Uh, Nonprofit, but if you want to go the food or tech route, that is totally kosher as well.
2: Well, yeah. Yeah. If I could wave a magic wand on the nonprofit side, it would be for us to do a better job of aligning aligning our indicators and collaborating on data collection. There are so many different people who are seeking to improve the lives of farmers and workers around the world and coming up with their own models to do so and their own KPIs and metrics to do so, which not only creates a lot of redundant investment efforts across these various nonprofits, but can also result in a lot of, um, a lot of tedium for the people that we're seeking to serve. And coffee farmers are very busy people and they are working really hard to make, to earn their money. And when they have four different organizations parachuting in and asking them for very similar content, that can be, that comes at a literal cost to them. So if I could wave my magic wand across the nonprofit sector, a lot of it would be aligning on indicators and a core set of indicators. It's far too common for organizations to want to measure everything and then figure out what's meaningful versus starting with a small set of meaningful indicators, people agreeing on that, coming up with a common method of collection of that data that reduces that that strenuousness on the farmer or worker side. Um, and then if I could wave a magic wand on the tech side, one, I want to couch this in the fact that I am incredibly grateful for all the companies that support us, whether in-kind donations of, um, of strategic support or even usage of their platforms. But what's really common is that a tech company will come up with their solution They'll bring it to market, and then they'll come to nonprofits and say, hey, we've got this great thing. Go ahead and use it. You can use it for cheaper than other people, which is, again, great to have access to, but often it doesn't fully meet the needs or fully take into consideration the constraints of nonprofits. And so what I would love to see is, a, is an increased emphasis from for-profit technology providers to bring nonprofits into their design processes and to, even if we're not eventually going to be their primary revenue generating base, if they do have a vision towards providing these tools and services to nonprofits, I'd love to have the opportunity to help inform what, how those might manifest so that they're actually grounded in the realities of the constraints of leveraging technology in a nonprofit environment
1: love it and totally worth two goes at the harry potter wand <laughs> uh continuing in the movie theme if you had a hot tub time machine and could change one thing uh that you have done in the past with in your work at Fairtrade or within your career in general what would it be
2: Within my career in general, I'd say I would have liked to have known about fair trade earlier, <laughs> and uh, helping contribute to the mission um, even sooner than I did. Um, as it relates to the time machine for fair trade, I would, I would love to be able to go back in time and and potentially build out. Prototypes or minimum viable products that work end to end in a single supply chain and then expand from there. So, for example, being able to, with keeping in mind that a sugar supply chain is always going to be different from a coffee supply chain, which is always going to be different from a salmon supply chain. But knowing that, being able to have the freedom to build out that end to end solution in one of those supply chains from farmer data collection or more automated data collection through the correlation of the supply chain, eventually manifesting in these impact dashboards that show brands and consumers the impact, the socioeconomic and environmental impact of their purchases, get that end to end model in place and then start iterating on it to accommodate for other supply chains. That said, we didn't have the luxury of doing that. We had, we needed to get some basic tools and systems in place that served our whole of portfolio needs because of some of the limits we were reaching in our ability to scale. And so instead, we had to pick kind of pieces within that end-to-end model and focus on building those pieces out to accommodate for for our entire portfolio. And so I think eventually we'll get to a very similar place, but it, what it didn't enable is our ability to, um, to basically sh- have that tangible prototype that then we could show not only to the market, but to funders and say, Hey, look, this is what we, this is what we're building towards. This is what we want to provide to everyone. So as, as, As nice as it would have been to be able to have that to lean on and say, hey, this is live, this is working for this company today, and with your support, we want to roll it out to a broader base, that would have been great, but the realities of working in a nonprofit are you're usually coming up against some pretty big constraints, and oftentimes you need to solve those constraints so that the business as a whole can move forward and do that in a way that is... Still building towards your larger vision.
1: Great, uh, Bennett. Thank you so much. One last question: How do people find you online? How do we find Fair Trade? How do we find Fair Trade in our in our stores?
2: Yeah. So if you go to fairtradecertified.org, you will see our new website that we launched several months ago, and it has, uh, that has that. Communicates the impact of fair trade and also highlights the brands that carry fair trade certified products. On that website, you'll see our label if you're not familiar with it. And the big thing is to look for the label. Um, we're, as I mentioned, we started Justin Coffee, and now if you were to walk into, say, a Whole Foods, you'll see a, our label in almost every aisle of the store. And so, one of the really important parts of our model is the ability to make small change every day and the ability to to do good with every purchase. Um, and so historically we've claimed every purchase matters and I truly believe that that's the case and that cumulative effect is going to be really impactful. So definitely take a look at fairtradecertified.org. Um, our, we're also on Facebook if you search for Fairtrade Certified, same with Twitter and Instagram if you want to see both Pictures of the products that we certify, as well as the farmers and workers who we seek to support. Um, and yeah, you can find us on those usual on those usual presences. And again, uh, you can find me pretty easily. As far as I know, I am the only Bennett Wetch on the internet, so it's a uh, it's pretty easy to find me on LinkedIn or Twitter.
1: Fantastic, Bennett. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Absolutely. Thank you for reconnecting with me. It was great meeting you at South by Southwest. And it's always a pleasure um, talking with people who are interested in leveraging technology to improve the world around us. So thanks for the opportunity to talk with you
1: today.
0: This has been Using the Whole Whale, stories of data and technology in the social impact world. Resources, as always, may be found at wholewhale.com podcast. Thanks for joining us as you may have noticed there's not many ads on our podcast nary one actually so we want to start talking about some products that are in the whole whale backyard in this case lighthouse lighthouse is a new product whole whale created to shed light on google analytics users specifically it's an add on that lets you see the browsing history of anyone who signs up via email on any form on your site It's a bit of code. You toss it into your site and suddenly you can then see when that next email registers what they have been doing for the past two years on your site based on cookie tracking. Yes, these data are already in your backyard. It also connects with MailChimp and other potential CRMs that you may have. This will help you find out a bit more about what maybe donors or volunteers or or general web traffic is doing on a specific level for your site. Check it out at getlighthouse.io